The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. As Meg pointed out, last night the celebration of Passover began with the singing of Dayenu, among other things. And today is Palm Sunday. We have our palms, the beginning of Holy Week. And today and tomorrow are the celebration of the Hindu festival of Holi, which is to say that we are in this mighty moment of confluence of three significant religious holidays and seasons. And I suppose none of this would be as significant if you gathered for your religious life in a cathedral or a synagogue or a Hindu temple or at your Hindu local community. But here, where we draw this much wider swath of people theologically and philosophically, and we invite everyone to bring their influences and backgrounds into our shared conversation and search for meaning, We find in these moments both the challenge and the delight of sitting with all of this in our arms and asking then what we see in this that is shared or resonant that we can hold and sit with this week ahead. Well, let's start with the first two. Let's start with Palm Sunday, if you'll allow me. Palm Sunday, I will admit, has always felt like a very complicated day to celebrate. Anyone who remembers the story, remembers this day, honors what is called Jesus' triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, but it was always hard for me to think of it that way, triumphal. By now, in the story of Jesus, or the versions we have, we know what awaits him, and a we are told that he does too, at least the gist of it. Yet still, he journeys into Jerusalem, called to speak the truth to power. No matter the risk, he heads into the heart of power where he is a marked man, but refusing to run and hide. And the people meet him as he enters, they throw palm fronds down in front of him like the way we do flowers at the feet of a bride or a carpet laid under a king's feet. Passover also marks a triumphal moment, the protection by God of the Israelites that begins in some ways with the angel of death passing over the houses that are marked with the blood of the Paschal Lamb all of which sets the stage for Pharaoh agreeing to set the Israelites free. And so the journey, matzah hastily made, that unleavened bread cooked in the sun, the fateful crossing of the sea of reeds from liberation from slavery. After the crossing, Pharaoh and his soldiers left behind. Miriam, we are told, 
and Moses sing a song and there is dancing on the other side to this new beginning. Both stories are about the beginning of this next historic chapter. Either the journey of Jesus and the history of Christianity or of the Jewish people and their life as a nation, the building of a temple, all that will follow. In both of these moments, Jesus and the Israelites, they know that fuller life, a deeper expression of their faith requires this next chapter. And for both, the journey didn't begin on this day, of course. There is this concept in psychology that I think of frequently since I learned of it. <clears throat> I think of it because it has so many applications in our own lives and warnings too, once you know of it. Most simply described, it's called the human proclivity for commitment and consistency. I'm pretty sure I read about it first in Dan Ariely's book, Predictably Irrational, the book whose subtitle is The Hidden Forces That Shape Our Decisions. For those who don't know, commitment and consistency is this pattern that psychologists have found in human behavior that says that we have this innate desire to be consistent in what we show allegiance to in our lives or have given even nominal assent to. And that force will draw us naturally to do and to agree to more and more even if it isn't in our best interest or in keeping with our ultimate priorities sometimes to do so, just so we don't break that pattern. The study that sticks with me around this one, and I have to say I couldn't find the book because in my Marie Kondo moment I gave it away, but now I'm obviously going to have to buy it back again, which she says is allowed, but first you have to give it away and see if you need it. Anyway, what I remember of this study was a person was sent to the door of a household and knocked on the door and asked the homeowner who answered if they would put a very small sign in their window showing their support for an issue that the homeowners weren't really committed to. It was something that no one could really be excited about, but it was vaguely acceptable, as I recall. And once folks did that, Every week, that same person would come back and ask the homeowners to put a bigger and bigger sign in their window, culminating with them asking people to put a very large and intentionally ugly sign in their front lawns. And an enormous percentage of people did all that. Having committed, in other words, to something that they didn't really care much about, they continued until their lawn was literally an advertisement for something that they weren't particularly excited about. Such was our desire for commitment and consistency in those commitments. It's why, one theory, it's why organized crime often asks, not because they know of these studies, but because they know and have learned the pattern of the human heart, ask people to do one somewhat innocuous thing. Let them know if police are coming down the street, deliver a letter to somebody, 
and then up the ante on the person's involvement until their criminal behavior has them doing something that they never would have dreamed they would do or have agreed to. However, let me be clear that this pattern in us, it is also why we will do enormously persistent, enduring, courageous things for the causes and the people and the places that we love. And the moral of this proclivity then for us is to choose our commitments carefully. Because, because we should go deep and long on the things we love, right? Of course, because that's what changes the world. That's what embeds our faith commitments, our values into things like laws and institutions and cultures, cultures that reinforce things like equity and compassion because we committed endure until things change and reflect what we love and are committed to. We should, in other words, put huge and maybe ugly signs in our front yards advertising and drawing attention to the things we think are important. Commitment and consistency, this pattern though, it's a scientific reminder and proof of the power and importance of those first choices. I talk about this because I think about it with the Jewish people in the story of Exodus and Jesus in the Palm Sunday story. These lives, they chose long ago, didn't they? A life that refused to give up on selfhood, for instance, for the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt and their right to full human dignity. Or in Jesus' case, in the commitment to speak that truth to power, to stand for love, to break the rules that would get in the way of either of those things. And then they just stayed loyal to those commitments. And that life, it's already been demanding of both of them. Jesus has left family behind and taken to the byways and villages preaching and healing in a life that is peripatetic and exhausting and challenging. For each Jew under Pharaoh, like each person who was born a slave in our own nation or brought here as a slave, to be true to your own humanity, to have faith in your own full human dignity to survive the abuses of body and spirit must have also taken a constant recommitment, right? A prayer and the risky business of recommitting again and again to hope. It's the same for all of us when we begin, when we commit and journey Even with the driving force of commitment and consistency like a hand at our backs, we all have those key moments when we are asked to, having already committed, to recommit to the road ahead. And these moments, well, they often present themselves at the challenging junctures, right? Think about it. 
when there's hurt in the relationship that you committed long ago to, when there is disappointment in our nation, when there is exhaustion in our struggle against injustice and evil. Jesus is shown in the story what's going to happen when he enters Jerusalem. The way King, it reminds me, the way King in his diaries seems to know what is likely to be his fate. And Jesus prays that the cup be allowed to pass from him because who wouldn't pray that, right? He's tired. I'm imagining he loves life. Why wouldn't you? And it will be rough ahead, horrible, actually. I think this week of the people in Myanmar going into the streets to protest. I mean, this isn't an ancient story, right? It's current eternal. They all know the warnings. They knew them. They have seen this last month, as all of us have, as we paid witness to in worship last week, what their military is capable of. They know what heading into those streets might mean. I'm sure that they all hoped, too, that maybe that day history would right itself and moved into the streets with that yes to that hope under their breath against the powers that spoke their no with bullets and death. Jesus had a choice to make like those protesters did and do each day they re-enter those streets and others will in the chapters of history to come, the cup won't pass. But they could. We could. And the Jews, they might not know exactly what awaits them, those 40 years in the desert. Who could imagine it? A diet of manna, losing people as you go, as you must. But for them, too, you can imagine when the singing is done and the laughter and the dancing has died down, that first morning breaking on whatever day they have set to begin the next chapter, looking out into that vast desert. No map to the promised land in hand, only the dream of it, the commitment to it, and how you might just want to pitch a tent by the sea and spend your life there. Let the rest go. But they chose to recommit. Journey forward. It invites me to reflect on my own life and invite you to think about yours too. Those of us who read Kathy Park Hong's book, Minor Feelings, which won a big award this week, we read it together and we read aloud a passage where she talks about a friendship with two other women, Asian women who are all artists and students at Oberlin with her and how together their lives as artists felt inevitable. That's the word she uses, inevitable. And how the power of that sense that they found and that they nurtured in each other carried them through all the erasure that they would meet, all the invisibility they would have to push through in the world to be recognized in their fields 
for the artists they are in the decades to follow. But there were moments of choice in that journey. It's those I feel called to underline this morning. Have you ever felt like something was inevitable? A feeling that even though you knew cognitively, well, that nothing is inevitable, you still chose to take the first move toward? Or have you ever wanted something and even though you weren't sure you could find it or would be worthy of it or could make it happen, you stepped toward that desire? And being careful not to use the word first step, even though that's my title. But I think we could use that word too if we just looked at it metaphorically. Because sometimes these are literal first steps or the rolling of our wheels, of our wheelchair forward through that first increment of space toward a destination we want to get to. But other times it's a movement of heart, spirit, mind. We know those moments. I know a couple, for instance, who are welcoming a baby in May. And that journey, that journey started when each registered for some online dating platform. What was the first act of commitment for you? Was it... I don't know, was it when you signed up to finish your GED? Or filled out that first job application that would give you independence? Was it, was it when you went to the pound just to look at dogs, just to look at them, unsure of whether you could actually care for another creature or life, and you walked out with the sweetest companion you could ever have imagined? Perhaps it was when you strapped on your athletic shoes and you went to high school tryouts and you found your bliss, or when you demanded for the first time a congressperson listen to you as you stood for the first time ever in the halls of power demanding change. Or was it more monumental than even those moments? Was it the fearful moment you stepped away from a career or did whatever you needed to, to come out to who you felt you were, to some truer version of yourself. Times when you felt like you risked everything. What was a moment for you when you moved through a threshold toward what would become you, a fuller you? We have so many of these moments. But there are always a few really crucial ones, I think. And when we make those first moves in all of them, the truth is we have no idea what we are getting into, right? Where those journeys will take us. But once they are begun, I think eventually we get to somewhere that in the end apparently we were meant to. And like the hero's journey, too, we will arrive at the end of all of it changed. That will be the journey of the Israelites 
forged in this long wandering into a nation tough and cohered. And that will be the journey of Jesus taken from this world as he will be in the stories this week we retell, but whose, whose life commitments would impact the world maybe more than even he imagined in his earthly life. And our stories, too, they will often surprise us when we look back on them, won't they? To where they all began. There's a saying in Farsi. I think I've told all of you about it once before. It's one that my friend Nyla, who comes from Afghanistan, reminds me when we're talking about some hard decision or some direction that feels intimidating to begin. She always tells me the saying in Farsi first and then translate it, even though now I know what she's saying when she says it the first time. One step, I bless you. Remember that, Vanessa? One step, I bless you. And then the next, and then the next. Your responsibility is just to make the first move. The blessings will come. Oof. So my friends, what's the place you would like to seize with delight this season of holy? Or where is the place you are being asked to recommit and double down what you already said you loved and believed in? Perhaps a new chapter of your life or our life is about to be written. Pick one small movement, just one, that speaks of your aspirations and hopes. And we are told by science that forces unseen and by ancient stories that forces unseen of all kinds will move with us. Begin, my friends, and be blessed. Amen. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.